Good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm one of the ministers here as well. Let's uh, begin as we look at God's word together. Well, in a couple months, in about two months, I will be leading a group of young adults on a, a missionary uh, on a mission trip through Central and Northern Australia. The plan for us is to visit two different Aboriginal communities, to meet with them, to pray with them, to sing with them, and to learn from them and from the missionaries who have been working there for many years. And one of these uh, communities is a remote community called Wadair. It is an eight-hour drive west of Catherine. This community that we're going to stay in and visit has made the news recently for all the wrong reasons. Dozens of homes were destroyed a few months ago at the end of last year due to unrest in the area. What happens is during the wet season when these communities, neighboring tribes, uh, who usually live separate in their own traditional land, are unable to live separately because of all the rain, they come together and they meet in a little town called Port Keats. And here lies the problem. In Port Keats, they take matters into their own hands. To be honest, I don't think anyone really knows or remembers how the fighting began. It could have been simply over the result of a footy match. But hatred and anger led to violence and led to one member of one tribe killing someone of the other tribe. And so payback was the way they were going to deal with it. The local shops and clinic were targeted so that one of the tribes couldn't get supplies and basic medical help. And it even escalated all the way to Darwin, where two of these members of opposing tribes saw each other. One of them, while he was in a shopping center, jumped over the counter at a boost juice, grabbed a knife, and took, after, took off after the other. And one of the teachers from this local school said that this unrest alongside of the lack of local services has exacerbated the disadvantage already experienced by the community's mostly indigenous population. She said, people are frightened to go to school. People are frightened to go to work. People are tired. People are frustrated. People are angry. And so when I began to organize this missions trip alongside Wycliffe Bible translators who have been working in the area for many years, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to go into this community or not because of the fighting. But in these communities, there are faithful, prayerful, Aboriginal Christians who are preaching the gospel, who see the need for Jesus, Jesus and his teaching in their area. And so on Wednesday this week, we got the green light to actually go into this Aboriginal communities. The elders have said that it is safe for us to be able to go into this community and meet with them. So after reading a passage 
where Jesus says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, we can find it easy to see the need and the benefit for this type of teaching found here in a remote Aboriginal community like Wadair, where they take matters into their own hands and they struggle with payback. Clearly, they do need Jesus. Clearly, they do need his teaching. They need to understand that taking matters into their own hands, taking an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, will escalate into warfare. And this is a very good example for us. It's a prime example for us as we look outward to see the devastating consequence of acting in a way that is contrary to God's plan. But what may be more difficult for us is to see the need and the benefit of this type of teaching here around us, not only in our community in 2508, but also in the community of believers here. Just because it is more difficult for us to see it, it does not mean that it does not exist. Today, I hope you're challenged to consider whether or not you personally have taken on, adopted these laws, these laws like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, or laws like you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If they are part of our culture, then they're probably also part of our uh, culture as believers as well. Let's pray that we might not just see what Jesus says here as problems that others need to address, but also problems that we may also need to address in our community. Heavenly Father, we know that you send rain on the just and the unjust, and we thank you. We know that you let the sun rise on the just and the unjust, and we also thank you for doing that. And we know that we can so often see the speck in our brother's eye rather than noticing the plank in our own. And so we pray this morning that this may not be the case. Give us the ability to listen to your word, to understand it, and have it change the way we think and act. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, just like Ella, I too watched the coronation last night. And I don't know if you uh, heard this little comment that I did, uh, but there was a comment that was made. It was just an offhand comment as the king left the ceremony by one of the reporters. And the reporter said something to this effect. This is where he begins his reign. And then they started talking about what we might expect of his reign. Is it going to be any different? Are we going to notice any differences about his reign? What type of king will he be? Well, here in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of heaven. He teaches about his reign and what we can expect from him. And we quickly realize that this kingdom is not for everyone. Not everyone has entered this kingdom, and not everyone will enter this kingdom. There are those who try to enter it through their own self-righteousness, 
and they fail. And there are those who, upon entering this kingdom, realize that there is this continual need for the Spirit to be sanctifying and changing those who are in it. So for us, who are followers of Jesus, we are being sanctified. We are being made new as we long for a day where we will finally be made perfect. And so Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon of the Mount portrays a pattern of conduct for those of us who are already in the kingdom. And it's a pattern that actually demands conformity here and now. Even though we will not be perfect, we will not achieve everything until the day when Jesus returns. And so for us here and now, there is this tension that we need to remember as we read passages like this. The tension is that on one hand, we have been made new already. We are united with Christ in his death. But on the other hand, the effects of our old nature is still a painful and persistent reality. So now we have access to the powers of the new kingdom through the Holy Spirit because we are currently in the new kingdom. But as we saw last week, we are not perfect. And the law exposes our imperfections and we are all still sinful. And so we have this tension then to try and escape this reality, the reality that this tension is for, is here. We don't want to uphold this tension as we ask the question, how are we different in this world? But if we don't uphold this tension, what happens is we likely arrive at two different conclusions. The first conclusion is that we can't make it and so we aren't any different to the world around us. We can't achieve perfection here and now. The other option for us is to think that we can somehow attain perfection, and that's what we strive for. We think it is possible to be perfect here and now. And neither of these things is true. We need to not try to escape the tension that God can still use us despite our sinfulness. We don't need to escape the tension that in our broken attempts to serve him, he can use them for his glory. So it's good for us to sit in this place where we have this tension. It's good for us to wrestle with this tension and appreciate that this side of heaven, we may never fully understand that by his Holy Spirit, he is perfecting us to be like our heavenly father and that he promises to be at work in us, achieving his purpose for his glory. And therefore, we do not lose heart. We keep going, even when what he asks us seems impossible. And so if you were here last week, you will have heard me say that this is basically a two-part sermon, starting from the section, uh, uh, starting from verse uh, chapter 5, verse 20, which says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds 
that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this little section sort of concludes with chapter 5, verse 48, which was read this morning. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And last week we looked at the four examples Jesus uses. In my Bible, they're under the headings anger, lust, divorce, and oaths. They clearly show us that we have all fallen short of God's perfection. Every one of us has done, fallen short. And we all need to be driven to seek the forgiveness that only he can offer. This week, we look at how the Pharisees misused the two sayings, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so as we look at these two sayings, I hope you will notice with me that there is actually this slight shift in how we should respond to these teachings. Jesus actually shifts from showing us our inadequacies, the fact that we can never live up to God's perfection, to instead showing us that despite our inadequacies, with his help, and only with his help, we can achieve what he asks. It is possible for us to grow in our faith. It is possible for these commands to be apparent in our lives. And by his Holy Spirit, we can be seen to be different from the world around us. And Jesus here kind of pays us this immense compliment. He encourages us to strive after the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Because as we do so, we will be used by him. There will be good works that will be produced. We will be able to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But if it's going to account for anything, these good works, it must be countercultural. We must be distinctive in our actions. We must be obedient to him and we must live under his authority. Read with me chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not risk the, resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you or take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, this famous law is actually found in three different parts of the Old Testament. It's found in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. And all three of these uh, examples where it is said, this law is intended to be used by Israel's judges. It was intended to prevent things from getting out of hand. It was intended to prevent disputes from escalating. In what I heard, the Aboriginal community that we will be visiting, tribal warfare began over something that was pretty much insignificant, but it escalated to the point 
where everyone in the community was impacted because of the way they chose to deal with it. It escalated because they chose to take matters into their own hands. But this law, in the, pro the proper place, would have prevented this escalation. It was to allow an external person, a judge, to determine the right response. So the law, as it was set up to be used, was not wrong or bad in any way. But when it's used by individuals who themselves believe that they were wronged and therefore they want to make right a wrong, they can use it for evil. And so Jesus here uses four different examples where the law may be used wrongly. So the first of these is if someone slaps you on the right cheek. Do not think that you can slap them back. Rather, turn to him the other also. And in this context, it may have been a physical slap to the cheek, but it also may have been a verbal insult. We, who are followers of Jesus, are to be, to be prepared to take another slap or another insult rather than to retaliate. The second example is that if we are sued and we require to give someone our tunic, as the custom was of that day, we who are followers of Jesus, instead of trying to get it back or take something from them because they took for us, we are meant to give them our coat as well. The third example is if we are forced to go one mile, we go a second. Now this is uh, most likely referring to the right of a Roman soldier. In Jesus' day, the Jews lived under the Roman rule, and a Roman soldier could ask anybody to help him carry his armor for one mile. That was basically the law. And so the Roman soldier could ask anybody on the street to help him carry his armor. This was their right. And so as followers of Jesus, we are not to feel hard done by believing that we have been targeted when we're asked to help somebody. We are to go the extra mile. And Jesus' last example here is that of giving money and lending our goods to others. And once again, we are to see that as followers of Jesus, we are to help those who are in need. Instead of treating them with contempt, we are to see the opportunity that's there before us and to be more like Jesus and to serve them. And so in all these examples, there is a choice to have personal self-sacrifice rather than personal retaliation. And so I wonder, do we use this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, to judge others, to condemn others, and to punish others? Or do we recognize that we do not have the right? We don't have the right to judge. We don't have the right to condemn or to carry out punishment. And so just for a minute, you might like to consider with me what this might look like in both our community around us and 
of the community of believers that we are a part of? Is it when we treat somebody poorly because we have been treated poorly ourselves? Is it the notion that we never take responsibility for our actions? We always blame others because we can do so. There's somebody else that we can blame as well. Do we easily defend our children's actions of hitting another child because they were hit first? Do we call out when something is not fair? Do we become the judge and decide what is the appropriate punishment for those around us? Well, we may not begin a tribal war, but we can be the instigators of evil. This command here, not to resist evil, has been taken by some to believe that we are either to be a doormat, that is to allow people to walk all over us, or even for some, they believe the more extreme case where there should be never a time when the use of force is allowable. And I just want you to think, before you come to this conclusion, consider what Jesus says and what the other authors in the New Testament say about this topic. Consider how Jesus acted in a number of different situations. Consider what Jesus says even here in the Sermon on the Mount, where he speaks up against wrongdoing and how in his righteous anger, he also turned over the tables in the temple. And so we need to think about this law and how it was originally put into place to protect the weak from the strong so that we don't become those who are strong and use it against those who are weak. The first occurrence of this law that I mentioned was in Exodus 21, and I found it fascinating that it was for the punishment of somebody who harms a pregnant woman. And so it says, however she is harmed while she is pregnant, the judge was to set the punishment to be paid, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And so this was to ensure that the punishment was just. But notice it was also to ensure that the punishment did not exceed the crime. And so if you abused a pregnant woman and it led to that baby dying, your punishment would be death. But the Pharisees took this principle and they extended it to be used not just for the judge in the court of law, but also to the realm of personal relationships. They used it to, um, to justify personal re revenge. But it wasn't actually just the Pharisees that did this. Everyone does this. We all want the right to take the law into our own hands and use it as personal revenge. And so what Jesus is saying here is that we don't have the right to retaliate and wreak vengeance on others. We don't have the right to implement this law whenever, whenever we feel like it. Our rights 
as those who follow Jesus, are to look around us and find a way to point people to Jesus, to see a world that is hurting and that desperately needs to know Jesus. And instead of doing as they do, we do the unexpected. We turn the other cheek. We offer more than what is owed. We go two miles when only one is required. We are generous to those who ask. And hear me as well, that Jesus does not say here that we cannot or should not pursue the proper channels when we are wronged. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that we may need to accept injustice without revenge, especially when this injustice is a form of persecution, a way that others revile us and utter all kinds of evil against us falsely on his account. And so rather than take revenge, you may like to ask yourself, how should I act? What more can I do? How can I meet people where they are at in their time of need? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Read with me from verse 43 as Jesus continues. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This command found in verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, comes from Leviticus chapter 19. But what's interesting is when you read Leviticus chapter 19, this law is completely wrong. It does not actually say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. The law actually says that you should not hate your brother. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the law says nothing about hating your enemies. And here Jesus corrects that by saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is not something that is easy. It is one thing to say these words and another to actually do them, isn't it? Some of you may read this passage and actually struggle to even consider who is your enemy. You might think to yourself, I don't even know if I have any enemies. While others may have people come to mind straight away. They know who their enemies are. And still some of you may be and have been praying for your enemies for years with no evident result while others may still not have it in them to pray for your enemies. And so as we consider what this is saying to us, we need to remember in every situation that Jesus calls us as his disciples not only to imitate our perfect heavenly father, but also to imitate him in his suffering. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is famous uh, by saying that as we imitate Jesus in his suffering, 
It is a visible participation in his cross. So for us, knowing what Jesus has done for us, we are to visibly participate in his suffering. We are to be seen by others to imitate him. Because if we don't, then how will they ever know who we are imitating? When God gives rain, God in his love lavishes good things on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the just and the unjust. When God gives sunshine, God in his good gifts of sunshine, he does so on the good and the evil. The corrupt person at work may get the promotion. The person who lies may get off. The rich may get richer. And all this is a generous gift from our good God. God in his love gives good gifts to everyone without discrimination, even though we may feel like he treats people differently, he doesn't. And so if we are really going to call ourselves sons and daughters of his kingdom, then we too must love without discrimination. We can't just love our neighbors or those we like. We have to love our enemies as well. We need to love equally. And we need to pray for those who persecute us as difficult as it may be at times to do so. Because it says here, if we just love those who love us, if we're only prepared to embrace other Christians or those we like, we're no different to the world around us. We're just doing what everybody else is doing. It's easy for us to love people we like. It's hard for us to love those who hate us and who we hate. And so I ask you, how do you look any different? Or are you just the same as the world around you? Are you living as people of God's kingdom? Maybe just for a minute, you could imagine what a difference it would be and what a difference it would make if we were a community of believers who rather than loved and greeted only our brother, we also loved and greeted those who despised us. If we were a community of believers who instead of upholding the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we turned the other cheek. We offered more than what was expected. We went that extra mile a community that realizes that we are to strive for and seek after real godly perfection. Imagine, just for a minute, what a difference it would make for those who hated us and who accused us of things that are not true if we loved them, if we prayed for them rather than gave in to the desire to treat them as our enemy trying to give them what they deserve. Imagine, just for a minute, 
what a difference it would make if instead of just loving the people we loved and that we got along with, we loved the people who are marginalized, who are despicable in our society, if we welcomed them in with open arms and we gave to those who begged and we did not refuse those who wanted to borrow from us. Imagine, just for a minute, what a difference it would make if we all changed our attitude towards those who we considered to be evil. We changed our attitude from hatred and anger to one promoted by mercy, a mercy that is perfectly seen in the way that God deals with us. Imagine, would we not be more visible? Would we not be more accessible? Would the distinctiveness of our Christian counterculture and Christian worldview not be more visible to those around us in our community? If we did, would it be possible just a little bit that we might reflect our perfect Heavenly Father and by doing so, draw others to him? Because in us, they see his goodness and his love and his perfection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us so that we may be seen as your sons and daughters. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you might like to take a few minutes and consider what's been said and ask a question using slido.com, and I'll be back after a song uh, to look at some of those questions. don't do these things.